Welcome to this teaching from the Refuge Church online experience. We're happy you're listening. As a reminder, at the end of all of our teachings, you'll have an opportunity to participate in the biblical practice of communion. If you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, consider gathering the elements, such as a piece of bread or a cracker, and your beverage of choice. And take a couple of minutes at the end to remember and participate in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We also encourage you to do it with at least one other person, if possible. Thank you. We're going to continue our series on how, on how we relate to God. Um, last week we talked about the potter and the clay. The, the concept we're going for here in this series is, you remember when Jesus said to his disciples, I no longer call you servants, but friends. I'm kind of shortening it. I no longer call you servants, but friends. And... Uh, implied in that sentence was that there was a time that they were called servants. In other words, there was a process they went through. They actually didn't come to Jesus as friends. They came to him as servants. And over the process of developing relationship, they grew into this place of friendship with Jesus. And I, I actually think it kind of works like that with us. It's, it's really complicated, but it sort of works like that with us. And I'm concerned that there are people who um, love God, who love Jesus, who've given their hearts to Jesus, who've prayed a prayer, but maybe we've skipped some steps in that process. That, um, you know, it's true that the minute you're saved, you're adopted into the family of God, that you're a son and a daughter. But actually, I think it's really important that before you... Uh, before you skip to that step, that you understand you're a lump of clay. You're just dirt. He added water to it. He made you. He owns you. He, make, he made something beautiful out of you, and you exist for his youth, usefulness. I think it's important that we start there, and, and we don't skip that step. And, and today we're going to talk about how he's a shepherd and we're sheep. And it's really important that we know that. That, that actually he's our leader. Let me read to you John 10, 1, 1 to 5, and then, and then uh, verse 11. It says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens to him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. I love that verse. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. And then skipping down to verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Okay. Last week when we talked about potter and clay, uh, remember I, I, I shared with you about in developmental psychology, there's, these, there's a, lot of, a lot of theorists have come up with different theories about, about how we develop. And in a lot of those theories, in each stage, there's a skill that must be mastered. Like in Erickson's uh, process of uh, development, the first stage is trust versus mistrust. 
And so there's a skill or a, or a truth that must be grasped by a child in order to develop in a healthy way. And so last week when we talked about potter and clay, we, we said the truth that needs to be embraced in that, in that phase, in that process of our life, is that God owns us. Ownership. We, we surrender our lives to him, and he transforms us. So he owns us, we surrender, and he transforms us, he makes us. Uh, this week, the truth I want to talk about is dependence or trust. Uh, good news, last week you were an inanimate object, a lump of clay being made into something. We've been slightly upgraded this week. You're alive. You're a sheep. A, kind of a dumb animal, but you're at least, you know, you're alive. It's, this is an upgrade. This is progress, right? You're still owned. You still have an owner, but you're, but you're, you're uh, and you still have usefulness, much like the pot, uh, but um, you're, you may not be human, but at least now you have a name. In the passage here, he says the shepherd calls his sheep by name. So you have a name. He knows you. He loves you. He lays down his life for his sheep. I don't know anyone who would lay their life down for a pot, but uh, I know people who would lay their life down for a pet. One letter difference there. Um, So when we talked about the clay, we said, hey, we're not capable of making ourselves. You did not make yourselves. I think we're in a a day uh, in history where everyone kind of believes we can make ourselves. We can decide who we really are or who we really should be. It, It might be even worse than believing we can make ourselves. It's like God made a mistake and I have to fix God's mistake. I know better. And so we're, we may be the lump of clay, but we think we're also the potter. We're the pot and the potter, and it, it's, it just doesn't work that way. He's the one who makes us. So when we're clay, we're not capable of making ourselves. But when we're sheep, I want to talk today about the fact that you're not capable of leading yourself. I, was, I, I, I spent a lot of time at... Um, at Livet during the week with the guys at that coffee shop. And I said, "Today, this week I'm preaching on sheep. He's the shepherd, we're the sheep. I said, so what? Like, tell, why does that matter, guys? Talk to me. Why does it matter? And I love this. Dallas, our friend Dallas, who spoke while I was gone, he said this. I love this thing. He said, sheep are born looking for ways to die. <laughs> we can't lead ourselves. We don't know what's best. We need a shepherd. And the, the, the irony of this life is the more you reject the shepherding of God, you think you're independent, you actually are still being led by something. We cannot lead ourselves. So the first truth that uh, the first point I want to talk about today is that God is my leader. If I embrace the truth that he's the shepherd, I'm just a sheep, then I'm saying, God, I not only embrace your salvation, you rescued me. He's the shepherd who leaves the 99 to go after the one. You rescued me in order to lead me.
the gospel isn't just about salvation. It's about a kingdom with a king who, you know, God's got a God complex. He's kind of a know-it-all. And you know why he can say, I am absolutely in charge? Because he absolutely is. He knows everything. And it's best for you. Have you seen sheep without a shepherd? Not so good. You're, you're better off with a leader. And God is my leader. He said to sheep, hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. I was watching a video on discipleship this week, and the guy said this. He said, it seems to me we've come to believe you can be saved without following Jesus. Like, we've, we've come to a place where there's a difference between being saved and being a disciple. We've, we've separated the two, like, just getting rescued out of sin and going to heaven, that's like for everybody. But, you know, if you want extra credit, you could actually obey him. It's like, no, this isn't for, this isn't like a graduate program for the extra spiritual who have some kind of ministry call, by the way, you all do. Jesus said, this is how you know whether or not you're one of my sheep, you know my voice, and you come when I call. God's my leader. That's actually how you know that I'm saved. He's leading me. John Piper said this, It is an amazing thing how many people consider themselves Christians who don't consult Christ when making choices. So I feel the need to sound this warning. You cannot be saved from sin by the Christ of the Bible if you reject the Christ of the Bible. The Christ of the Bible is an authoritative advisor as well as an atoning Savior. So if we try to receive Him as an atoning Savior and reject Him as an authoritative advisor... All we receive is an imaginary Christ while rejecting the Christ of the Bible. Therefore, since we can't be saved by the Christ of the Bible, if we reject the Christ of the Bible, we will never make it to heaven nor enjoy the fellowship of God here if we don't aim to make the counsel of Christ decisive in the decision-making process of our life. How many people are following an imaginary Christ? Whew. God is my leader. You know how I know whether or not God is my leader? There, uh, have you ever been around a Christian that the Holy Spirit just always confirms what they, they always wanted to do anyway? Like, God, it's funny how God always tells them to do the thing they wanted to do on their own anyway. Here's how you know God's your leader. When you end up doing things you don't want to do. And go in places you would rather not go. 
if God only tells you to do the things you like, we actually don't know whether he's leading or not. You get to find out when he's the leader when you go through the valley of the shadow of death. That's when you find out. It's like no sheep wants to go through the valley of the shadow of death. That's the point. And that's why Jesus was constantly making it harder and harder to follow him. Why would he say these things that were so offensive? Hey, you want to follow him? Thousands of people all of a sudden signing up to follow Jesus. And he says, oh, just so you know, the bar got a little higher. If you're going to follow me, you've got to drink my blood and eat my flesh. And he didn't follow it up with, hey, guys, where are you going? It was just an analogy. It was just an analogy. You're going to have communion. That's what I'm talking. He didn't. He didn't. He didn't explain it to them. He didn't clear it up with them because he knew this is the test. When your will and my will come in conflict, who wins? Who's actually leading? I don't want to give my money away. I don't want to spend my time on that thing. I don't want to give up this thing or that thing. Who's leading? Who's leading? Second point. God's my leader and I can trust his leadership. This is going to be real simple and, uh, and uh, kind of fun, I think. We're going to go through the, the 23rd Psalm. The, uh, probably the most famous passage of Scripture in the Bible. And I just want to like, take it line by line and show to you how you can trust his leadership. So the first line in, in, the, Lord's, uh, in the 23rd Psalm is, The Lord is my shepherd. The word most commonly used for shepherd is taken from the Hebrew word, which is also the word for best friend. The unique term for shepherd is translated lover of the flock. This teaches us that a shepherd was not just a responsible overseer, but a caring father figure, tending to his flock out of a deep sense of love. Shepherds were also fierce protectors of their flocks. So Jesus is the fierce protector of his people. The Lord is my shepherd. I always have more than enough. Or I shall not want. I have to tell you, this first verse right here has sort of been a declaration in my life over the last few years. I always read this like David was bragging about how great his life is. The Lord's my shepherd. I don't want for anything. I have everything I want. I actually, I think David was, wrote this as a declaration. You know how David was really good at speaking to his own soul? I think he's speaking to his own soul here. He's saying, soul, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. And I've been over the last few years saying, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Stop it. You shall not want. If you needed it, the good shepherd would provide it. I shall not want. What a wonderful declaration over your life. To never be in lack, always possessing more than enough. Our God meets our emotional, physical, and spiritual needs. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. 
A good shepherd knows where to pasture his flock. These green meadows would be a resting place, free from all fear. The Greek verb to love is agapeo, which is a merging of two words and two concepts. Ago means to lead like a shepherd. And pale is a verb that means to rest. Love is our shepherd leading us to the place of true rest in his heart. For a few years, we had a, a rancher in our church. And he, uh, he knew the seasons. He knew when it was time to take the cattle and move them to a different place for feeding. To, to spare them from the heat of the summer, uh, the cold of the winter, I don't understand it all. But I know it was a huge process because he knew what was coming. The, the cattle didn't know what was coming. They just eat and do their thing, right? And all of a sudden, Josh comes out on his horse and he's driving the cattle. And they're probably wondering, what are we doing? This is a long hike. But he knows what's coming. That's the beautiful thing about a shepherd. He knows where we need to be because he knows the seasons and he knows what's coming. So I eat what he feeds me. He restores my soul. Or he causes my life to return. So often life drains out of us through our many activities. But as David found, God restores our well-being when we pursue what pleases God and when we rest in Him. He knows what we need. And that's why there are times where He makes us lie down because it's like, you, you might feel okay today, but you need to lie down because I know what's coming tomorrow. You need your rest. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The, uh, the actual translation here, it's interesting. The actual translation here is circular paths of righteousness. It's a common trait for sheep on the hillside of Israel to circle their way up higher and higher. Rather than driving the sheep straight up the side of the, uh, of the hill or the mountain or whatever, they would circle and go higher and higher and higher. They eventually uh, form a path. Eventually you can see this path around the hill um, that keeps leading them higher. This is what the psalm is referring to here. Each step we take following our shepherd will lead us higher, even though it may seem we are going in circles. You're like, I'm not getting anywhere, God. Same old, same old, same old. And he says, just trust me. And I love the, the, the patience of the shepherd. Like for the shepherd, he could just go whoop, straight up the mountain, right? But he knows what his, what his sheep are capable of. And he walks at their pace. And he doesn't mind the fact that the trip is way, way, way longer than it needs to be. Because he's walking at the pace of the sheep. That's actually when I read the story of Exodus. I'm most amazed 
that the people kept following Moses. Because this is like a 40-day journey they did for 40 years, right? So, you know, after like the 10th time you see that same rock, you go, you know, should we have, should we have a vote here? I think Moses is lost. But they just kept following the shepherd in the wilderness. Because while it looked like they're walking in circles, God was working. God was working Egypt out of them. God was preparing them for the promised land. He was letting the old thing die off so the new thing could come. And so we just trust his leadership. And we just follow. Whether it's the same old, same old. You know, it's, I think it's a lot easier to follow into something new. We kind of like, that's, that's culture too. It's like, been in that marriage for five years, let's try something new. Been at that church for a couple of years, going to try something new. I like adventure. I like something new. But the older I get, you know, when I was younger, I was just like, I wanted to, you know, turn the world upside down for Jesus. I still want to turn the world upside down for Jesus. But you know how I really want to do it? Faithful. Loving the same woman, raising the same kids, in the same church, with the same people. Doing it day after day after day after year after year after decade after decade. Getting higher and higher and higher. Let's try faithfulness. Maybe we don't need a new thing. Maybe we just need to keep doing the same faithful thing over and over. Can you show up every day? Can you show up every day and follow the shepherd every day? Yeah, you see the same rock every day. Okay, yeah, I've read that verse a hundred times, but there's something for me today here. I know the shepherd wouldn't bring me here if there wasn't something for me here. Can we just be faithful? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. The Passion Translation says this, Paths of righteousness go through valleys of death. Righteous paths go through valleys of death. Even when your path takes me through the valley of deepest darkness, fear will never conquer me, for you already have. Your authority is my strength and my peace. I'm always impressed with this, like with dog owners. When you can tell someone who's like, I, lo- I love my dog, but I'm not a good like trainer. I'm horrible at that stuff. Right? But I'm always impressed with when I watch someone who knows how to train a dog. And you, you can tell the dog is in an uncomfortable situation. The dog is being asked to do something the dog doesn't like. The dog, there's all kinds of anxiety. There's other animals around or whatever, but they're on it. They're, they're looking to their, their master. They're following the leadership of the master in that moment. They're not, you know, my dog, if there's another dog around, it's like I don't exist anymore. But like a good master with a dog, it's like no matter what's going on all around, eyes fixed on the master. And, um, I just think that's a beautiful picture. You know what, what happened in that relationship? The master has conquered his dog. 
He's earned the trust and the fear of that dog. Fear will never conquer me, for you already have. See, when, when the good shepherd has all my fear, I have none left for the enemy. I have none left for the devil. I have none left for people. When I truly embrace the fear of the Lord, and he has all of my fear, I have none left to give. For my own safety, for my own reputation, all my fear is directed at the Good Shepherd. Your authority is my strength and my peace. I can rest knowing He's in charge. I have peace knowing I don't have to figure out where we're going. I, I actually have strength because I'm not wasting my energy trying to lead my own life. a beautiful thing when he's in charge. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. The table is an intimate place. It's a familial place. The table is where the family comes together. It's where we reconnect. Hey, how was your day? How was your day? What do you have on, on the docket tomorrow? Right? It's where we connect. This place of in- intimacy. And I have a theory here. I can't prove this. But I just wonder if David wrote this because of what his table was like at home. There are some theologians that believe that uh, David was actually the result of an adulterous affair or some sort of sinful relationship. David wrote that. He wrote something like like that in the Psalms, that in sin he was conceived. And and you can see evidence of it when you think about when David was anointed. When the prophet comes to their house, that's a really, really big deal. That's like the president coming to your house. And his dad, he, he didn't forget about him. He left him in the field on purpose. Like, this was a stain on our home. This was an embarrassment. I'm hoping that Samuel... Never finds out about this kid. That's why Samuel had to drag it out of him. Is this all, is these all your sons? Well, I guess there's David out in the field. So think about that. Like, here's David at the, at the table with this, fa- this kind of a family. Where, you know, you feel, he, he had to have felt that. Like, I'm a stain. I'm a blot on this thing. I'm And the words that may have been spoken over him or to him by his brothers, by his dad. And I just think about this, this line here. Is, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. And I love the idea that David's like, I can sit at the table and be fed all these lies, all these hurtful words, but I've learned to access a better table. Right in the presence of my enemies. I've learned to tap into something else. I've learned that only you can fill this role perfectly. You know, my father should be my shepherd. But you are my shepherd. 
And you've prepared for me a table in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. You may have read this before, but shepherds put oil in the ears and the nose of the sheep so the flies will stop pestering them. And the, the reason, not only for their you know, health and all of that, but the reason they would do this is the flies can become a distraction. Buzzing around your ears and in your eyes, and all of a sudden you can't see the shepherd or hear the shepherd. And so the shepherd anoints the sheep, puts the oil in their ears and nose so that the distractions can be dealt with. He's given us His Holy Spirit so that now I don't hear God out here, but He's in here. He speaks to me from the inside of me. That still, small voice That's what that anointing oil has done for me, is I hear His voice. I hear His voice. I'm not special because I hear His voice. That's not reserved for somebody special. It's His sheep. He anoints His sheep with oil so we can hear His voice. And I like this part. My cup overflows is literally referring to being inebriated with his fine wine. And you know, I imagine, I've never been drunk in my life. But I can imagine it's probably awful hard to worry or experience fear in that inebriated state. When you're feasting on his Holy Spirit, his presence, when your cup is overflowing. It's hard to worry or fear the future. Last, last line here says, surely or only, actually, only goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God's my leader, and I can trust his leadership. His goodness and His mercy are pursuing me all the days of my life. That's such a beautiful picture of grace. What did I do to deserve His mercy? What did I do to access His mercy? Nothing. It chased me down. He found me. I love, there's a, a pastor I really respect. We, we used to sing a song when I was uh, younger, and the chorus was, I found Jesus. And this guy says, you know, it's, 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 a, funny, it's a funny line. He's like, it's sort of like, we, we, here we are, face down, in the mud, in the dirt. Jesus comes, steps over us, extends his hand. We turn our head out of the mud, wipe, wipe it out of our eyes so we can see. And we go, oh, Jesus, I found you. His mercy and His goodness are chasing us down all the days of our life. The striving is over. The work is over. The worry is over. All i got to do is keep going, knowing goodness and mercy are in hot pursuit. When it looks like I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, 
I just keep going and I remind myself it's only a shadow. It's only a shadow. It's not the valley of death. It's the valley of the shadow of death. And, by the way, our enemy, the Bible says our enemy roams around like a roaring lion. But it also says that Jesus is the roaring lion. So we have an enemy who imitates and sounds like a lion, and we walk through valleys that look like death. But we have a good shepherd. Listen to this. This is Charles Spurgeon. He says, Jesus, the good shepherd, will not travel at such a rate as to overdrive the lambs. He has tender consideration for the poor and needy. Kings usually look to the interests of the great and the rich. But in the kingdom of our great shepherd, he cares most for the poor. The weaklings and the sickly of the flock are the special objects of the Savior's care. You think, dear heart, that you are forgotten because of your nothingness and weakness and poverty. This is the very reason you are remembered. He's near to the brokenhearted. He's the shepherd who leaves the 99 to go after the one. If you're you're a guest with us today, one of the things we do around here is we, we actually take communion every single week. So I always try to preach us to the table. And I love that because guess what? In order for this to make sense, Jesus has to die, be buried, and resurrected every single week. We have to share the gospel when we come to the table. It's pretty easy this week because Jesus said he's the good shepherd who lays down his life for the flock. And so... We come to the table this week to, to eat what the shepherd is feeding us. And here's the beauty of our good shepherd. He feeds us himself. He invites us to a banqueting table where we're the guest of honor. And he's not only the host at the table, he's the meal. What shepherd is like this? What shepherd lays down his life for sheep? I mean, just go buy another sheep. He's a good shepherd. So as we come to the table this week, can we come to the meal that he's prepared and make our declaration Jesus, you're my leader. I trust your leadership. I will not lean on my own understanding, but in all my ways, every day, help me to acknowledge you. What are you saying? Where are you leading me? Lord, we thank you for your voice. We thank you that you're the good shepherd. And you speak clearly to us. And you walk slowly for us. And when it's time, you make us lie down. And when it's time to go, you you lead us through the valley. 
And I thank you that it's only a shadow because you drank that cup for us. We face the shadow of death because you faced real death. And you drank that cup dry. So we come to the table today and we say we trust your leadership. Thank you, Jesus, for making us a part of your flock. We'll go wherever you take us. In Jesus' name, amen.